Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Hey everyone. Hello to everyone watching online as well. Good that you've joined us. Wherever you're watching from, we're so pleased that you can be with us today. Um, I get the privilege of continuing our latest teaching series then, which is called, I Love My Bible. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I love my Bible. Um, it's, it's intentionally like, you know, the artwork, it's, it's like a bumper sticker that no one wants, but we're... <laughs> We're, we're trying, and, and our hope and our prayer is that throughout this series, that we would ignite a passion for the Word of God uh, within all of us. Within all of us, if it's your first time picking up a Bible, um, or whether you have read the Bible many, many times through, God ignite a passion for Your Word in us again. And last week, Amy did a great job of starting the series, and in it, we're going to ask four questions. Each instalment of this series will have one question. Last week, the question was, "What is it?" Today, the question will be, can I trust it? Next week, Ed is going to bring the word and he's going to speak on where is Jesus in it? And then lastly, Tom is going to speak on how do I read it? We thought we'd leave that one to the end. Uh, so if you want to find out, you have to stay for all of them. How do I, how do I read it? Um, so today, can I trust it is what we're going to look at. Can I trust it? Spoiler, the answer to the question, Yes. We can wrap up there, everyone, actually. <laughs> Call that a day? Um, yes and no. Don't throw anything at me, okay? We're going to go on a journey. Yes and no is the answer to the question. Um, and that's what we're going to look at. Last week, just to recap, Amy did a great job. She spoke about what is the Bible, and she said this, that the Bible literally means library. It's a collection of 66 books written by approximately 40 authors, kings, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, statesmen, poets, historians, teachers, prophets, and doctors written over about 1,500 years using three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And I love this quote that she read from a pastor in America. It says, reading the Bible generates life. It produces change, it heals hurts, it builds character, it transforms circumstances, it imparts joy, it overcomes adversity, it defeats temptation, it infuses hope, it releases power, it cleanses the mind. That's what the Bible is. I love that. And she said three things, it's precious, it's powerful, and it's personal. But today, can we trust it? Can we trust it? The answer is yes and no. So, can we trust it? And for me, answering this question, um, we can answer it in a few different ways. So we could explore together some different options and some people point to different things to talk about the credibility of scripture. One thing that people will reference is how amazingly consistent scripture is. Considering it's written over 1500 years by 40 different authors, the overarching narrative is remarkably consistent. There is one message and we're going to unpack that next week with one another. If, if 40 of us in this room decided to write a book together and all of us got to contribute to the book, I imagine it would be a bit of a mishmash. Uh, it wouldn't make all that much sense, but the Bible is remarkably consistent. So we could look at that, and people point to that as that is a sign of its divine inspiration. How wonderfully consistent it is, considering all of its contributors and how long a period of time it was written over. Another thing that we could appeal to is how historically credible and trustworthy the actual manuscripts themselves are. 
So this is my wife's domain. She has a history degree, so she loves these things. But um, historians will validate, uh, verify ancient manuscripts by one of two ways. They'll look at two things. They'll look at how close was the manuscript produced in relation to the event itself. So if the event happened, how long did it take for that manuscript to then get produced with the event that it was talking about? That's one. Two, how many manuscripts were actually produced? Those are two ways that historians would like, validate the credibility of an ancient manuscript. So if we look at, say, for example, another ancient manuscript written in historic times, we can look at Plato's Tetralogies, an ancient manuscript. It's basically Plato's Bible. And what we have, number of manuscripts years after the event. So the number of manuscripts of Plato's Tetralogies is, is, is 210 years after the event, 1,300 years recorded after the event. In ancient times, they had this oral tradition that they could remember information and pass that on. So capturing it wasn't like today. They could remember it a long time after. But historians will look at that and say, that's a credible document that we have with that space of time. Now let's consider the New Testament. Number of manuscripts, 5,366. If you consider other languages that it was written down in, it's over 15,000. Written 30 to 100 years after the events themselves. So when it comes to historical documents and the trustworthiness of them, time and time again, the Bible blows every other historical doc document out of the water as can we trust its historical accuracy and validity? Yes, as far as that's concerned. But from, does that answer the question that we're asking today? Can I trust it? Can we trust it? See, we need, for me, to get a satisfactory answer to that question. We need to define what we're talking about a little bit. Can we trust it to do what? So, so for example, Tom is my friend. Can Tom trust me? The answer is yes. Tom, Tom can trust me. Can he trust me to be a good friend? Yes. Can he trust me to be honest with him? Yes. Could he trust me to drive his car? Yes, I'm, I'm a good driver. Uh, yeah, he could trust me to that. Could he trust me to change the engine of his car? Absolutely not. I could, yeah, my dad could do, could do a good job of that. I could maybe take the engine out. It would never work again. Can I trust my wife? Yes. What were you expecting me to say? Yes. Do I trust that she always knows where her keys are? Yes. I don't know. Yes is the answer. I love her. <laughs> She's not here. She'll be in service too, where I won't use that example. So the, the degree that we can trust something or someone is to the degree it can fulfill what we are trusting it to do. So can we trust the Bible to teach us French? No. Can we trust the Bible to teach us mathematics? No. Can we trust the Bible to tell us our future? Oh. I believe if we read it and apply it, it will dramatically change our future. So what can we trust the Bible to do? When we ask that question, can I trust it? We need to know what are we trusting it to do? And we read this in 
2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and is useful for, are you ready? Teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can we trust the Bible? Yes, the Bible tells us what we can trust it to do, and that is to teach us, rebuke, and correct us, and equip us for every good work. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Is that okay? Let's just pray, um, and we'll continue. Father God, just in the next few moments that we share, as we open up your word with one another, would you speak to us so clearly? Thank you, God, that you are already here, and I ask, Lord, that you would just... Breathe on us, breathe on our lives, inspire us as you inspired this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the word of God then is useful to teach us, correct and rebuke us and to equip us. Firstly then, teach us. It says this in Psalm 119 verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commandments, for there I find my delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. And this is key. Let me read this again. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Turn my eyes from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. Not all teaching is created equal. And just because we are learning something doesn't mean we are learning the right things. I used to have a drum teacher and he said this, practice does not make perfect, practice makes permanent. And what he meant by that was, it doesn't matter how much you're practicing, if you're practicing the wrong thing or if you're practicing it incorrectly, all you're doing is ingraining the wrong thing. And not all teachers and not all lessons are created equal. And the question that I have for us, the challenge is, like, where, where are we learning from? Who is teaching us? Where are we absorbing our knowledge? Is it what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching, who we're talking to? Who is teaching you right now in your life? We are always learning something. And our minds and our thinking are always going to be informed by something, whether it's by osmosis or like intentional learning. Someone or something is teaching you and I. What is that? The word of God teaches us. Turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. It's so easy. Anyone in this day and age can have an opinion. Anyone in this day and age can put something online and say, here's what we should know, here's what we should do. And it's so easy for us to get like, tossed about in the waves of different opinions and different ideologies and thinking this, that and the other. What is truth? Where should we be learning? The word of God, and this is, again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. That's a massive question of faith for each and every one of us, because if we believe that, are we submitting ourselves to its teaching and allowing the word of God to take our eyes from worthless things and onto the things of God, to learn about his will, to learn about his ways, to learn about what righteousness means, to learn about how I should conduct myself or how I should think? Are we being taught by the word of God. We can trust the word of God to teach us. Um, Pastor Michael Jarvis 
who many of us will know and love. He's with the Lord now. When I became a minister, when I um, got my um, ministerial status, he came up to me in this building and he said this, you're in God's school now. He will teach you, he will train you, and he will equip you for everything you need. And then he walked off into the sunset, (laughs) dropped the mic, and I was just left reeling with that advice. God's school. Each and every one of us can be taught by the word of God. Side note, Michael Jarvis, a, a man with a colossal intellect, mammoth experience, he knew so much, and particularly about the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he knew so much about that. His intellect, experience, all of that was dwarfed by how encouraging he was. He, he, was, he was the most encouraging man. And, and that for us is a challenge. Let's never let our intellect or how much we know cause us to look down on other people. We can know a lot and encourage a lot more. Let me just throw that one out there. We can trust the word of God to teach us. Secondly then, we can trust the word of God to correct and rebuke us. Ready to get uncomfortable. (laughs) To correct and rebuke. Says this in Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Um, Recently, Pastor Tim Keller went to be with the Lord, and he was a wonderful theologian and helped, has helped me so much with, with what I've learned with my faith, really informed my journey with Jesus. Um, and he, he brought a devotion on that scripture, um, and it was a bit uncomfortable for me to hear, hit me between the eyes, um, and I'm going to share it with you. Are you ready? Yeah. says this, this is what he said, our culture tells us that no one should tell you what is right or wrong. You must lean on your own understanding. But please think. Remember when you were 15 years old and you thought your 10-year-old self was a little bit of an idiot? (laughs) Then do you remember when your 25-year-old self thought thought that your 15-year-old self was a bit of an idiot? Do you remember when your 35-year-old self thought that your 25-year-old self was an idiot? You're an idiot now. Do not lean on your own understanding, lean on the word of God. He said this, 10% of everything Jesus says in the New Testament is a quotation of scripture. When he dies, he quotes from the Psalms. If you trust Jesus, who immersed himself in the word of God to save you, immerse yourself in the word of God to honor him. The word of God corrects us and rebukes us and reveals to us where we're a little bit flawed, where we're going wrong. And all of us are. All of us make mistakes. All of us fall short. All of us are not perfect. And we need something to almost act as a divine mirror to hold up to our face and say, there's the flaws. Don't get ahead of yourself. Stay humble. Keep learning. Keep being taught by scripture. He will correct and he will rebuke and he'll train you in righteousness. It's this divine mirror that gets held up to our face. It says this in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. 
an invitation for the word of God. Show to me where, where I need to change, where I need to pivot, where I'm going wrong. Um, and it's uncomfortable when that happens, but we need it. I remember a few years ago, someone said something to me when I, I felt misunderstood. I felt that they um, misrepresented me and their reaction to me was disproportionate to what I said, um, but I didn't have an opportunity to justify it. Um, and, and I felt it was like an attack on my character. Um, so what I did, I repeated that particular incident over in my head again and again and again for weeks until eventually the scripture held up the divine mirror to me and Matthew 5:44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those that hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I read that, I was like, no. <laughs> That's not what I want to do. I want to keep this going over in my head again and again and again. And, and I was like, by the way, Lord, they're not my enemy. I don't have enemies. It's like, well, no, you've made an enemy of them and you need to pray for them. Oh. So every time that particular incident came to mind, what did I do? Challenged by the word, corrected by the word, rebuked by the word. I prayed for that person. How releasing that was. How, how wonderful that was just to say, God, like genuinely, I pray a prayer of blessing over them today, over their family today. It was really difficult to be mad at them when I was praying that way. But that's what scripture does. It can rebuke and correct us in the best way. We can trust his word to rebuke and correct. So we can trust his word to teach us. We can trust his word to rebuke and correct us. And we can trust his word to equip us for every good work. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. Everyone in this room, there is a good thing for you to do that God has prepared for you to do. There's a reason that you are alive, there's a reason that you're on the planet, and there is something that God wants to equip you for, to accomplish for his glory. I believe that. And, and that's a really encouraging verse that we read in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10, where God's handiwork, another, another version says, we're God's masterpiece. Like, it's, it's wonderful, it's encouraging. Um, as the book goes on, it's not quite so encouraging. Um, as, that, as that letter to the church in Ephesus goes on, it gets a little bit more challenging um, because he begins to, Paul begins to talk and he uses um, a military theme in this letter. So he starts by saying, you're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. But then he says this, in so Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. I thought I was the masterpiece. That was an encouraging part. Why are we talking about the devil's schemes? What's that? He goes on in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle, struggle. Why, why is he talking about struggle? I enjoy the encouraging part. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces, in, um, forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That struggle is not reserved for employed Christians. If you're a Christ follower, the metaphor that he uses here, it's like you're enlisted into God's army. There's a very real battle that takes place. And there are spiritual forces and principalities that wage war against the kingdom of God, of which we are a part. And God wants to equip us to take a stand against the devil's schemes, which will come against us. Created in Christ to do good works, in order to accomplish those good works, be equipped to take your stand. 
So he goes on. How, how are we equipped in Ephesians 6.13? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted firmly, uh, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God has gifted us with everything we need to accomplish everything that he has called us to do. It's our choice to take up the armor, to put on the armor, to take up our sword. So if we're in a fight, the, everything in that description is defensive other than the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was led into the wilderness and was tempted, how did he reply? It's with the word of God. His counter was the word of God. And, and I wonder if, if the enemy would love it if we were an unarmed army. Unable to fight, unable to counterattack because we haven't taken up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We can trust the word of God to equip us with everything that we need. And we are able to take our stand and fight against the devil's schemes and to take background if we pick up the sword. If we learn his word, if we get it into our heart, if we get it into our mind, if we memorize it and declare it and speak it and wield it, it's a sword. It's a weapon we are given. It's something he wants to equip us with. For example, then, let's, let's just put this into, into reality. If fear or anxiety hits, we read, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When, pe- when fear and anxiety hit, we can pick up that sword and hit the enemy back with it. I will not be afraid. Perfect peace I have in Jesus' name. If we find ourselves in lack, we can say, my God will meet all my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. We can counter attack. If we feel under attack, if our families feel under attack, if it feels like everything is falling apart, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And we cling to that sword and wield that sword. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where David's mighty men, one of them stood and defeated defended a field with a sword and he fought off so many that his hand it says was frozen to the sword let it be said of us that in the face of opposition and attack and trial and adversity our hands clung and froze to the word of God so much so that we couldn't drop it but we kept wielding it if you feel like you're going through it at the moment don't drop the word don't stop reading it devour it cling to it Find a word for yourself so that when the day of evil comes, we can take our stand. We can trust the word of God to teach us. We can trust the word of God to correct and rebuke us. And we can trust the word of God to equip us with everything that we need to do everything that God has called us to do. Um, Two things I want to do. Um, One, I want to give everyone an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. And we're speaking about trust. And, and all of us, if not Jesus, if not his word, all of us will be trusting fundamentally in something. And I don't know about you, when it comes to the, the tests and the trials of this life, um, my own will, 
my own kind of determination, it's not all that sharp sometimes. Not all that effective. And, and I want to encourage you today to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. To make that decision to say, Jesus, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything that's mentioned in your word, but I want to put my trust in you. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that online. There's an opportunity for you to do that today as well and to say yes to Jesus. Um, and, but for the rest of us, in particular, I want to invite you to pick up your sword. That if you're a Jesus follower, um, if you love, love the Lord, if you follow him, um, pick up your sword again. And, and start to fight. Get a word for, for right now in your life. What are you currently going through? What, what's your family going through? What are you facing at work? What's, what's ahead of you at the moment? And do you have a word for it? Are you equipped for it? If not, devour the word and find something that you can hold on to. I've shared it before, but for me, um, uh, 1 Peter 5 verses 6 to 7 was the word that I needed and the sword that I wielded at a difficult time where I just felt like God had abandoned me a little bit. 1 Peter 5 6 to 7, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I repeated that again and again and again and I still do. That feels like my, my word. I'm clinging to that and I cling to that and I wielded that and I, I jab, jab the enemy in the throat with it. <clears throat> do that, do that, do that. But pick, pick up the sword again. Let's fight together. But first, let me invite everyone in the room to say yes to Jesus. Uh, maybe, maybe you've made this decision before, but right now you know you are not, not, not right with God and you know you need to come back to him this morning. Today could be the day where you say yes to him again, where you come home and put your trust in him again. Or this might be for the first time you make the decision to say yes to Jesus. Let's just everyone bow your head, close your eyes, and I'm going to make an invitation for you to say yes to him today. And online you can do this too. Very simply, I want to pray for you. So after the count of three, if you want to put your trust in Jesus today for the first time or you want to come back to him, I'm going to ask that you put your hand up and I'll pray for you. One, two, three. That's wonderful. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you see everyone in this room. Uh, you see everyone watching online. And for those that have just lifted their hand in response to represent Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. You know exactly where that at. And Father, I pray that in this moment, they would know your presence, they would know your peace, they would know your comfort. God, thank you in a moment of decision where we can just say yes to you. You fill our lives. You transform us from the inside out. And God, I just pray over those people that said yes to you today. Holy Spirit, just be with them on these beginning steps of that journey. It's a wonderful adventure of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if, if that was you, if you put your hand up, best decision you can ever make, um, honestly. Um, that is indicative of a first step 
of a wonderful journey of faith following Jesus. And there's a great team at the back there that would love to help you take those next steps and figure out what does that mean to say yes to Jesus, to put your trust in him. Um, so please go and see them. They've got something they want to put in your hand at the end of the service. Uh, but for the rest of us, though, we've intentionally created some time at the end of the service here just for some prayer and ministry. Um, so we'd like to open up the front here. If you want prayer for anything um, going on in your world right now, uh, we'd love to pray for you. You can come forward and we'll, we'll lay hands and pray for you. There's, there's sickness in your body. We'll pray for you. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday and we believe that wasn't an event that just happened 2,000 years ago. We believe that the Holy Spirit fills us today. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, you can come forward as well. We'll pray for that too. Um, and also, if, if you know you need to take up the sword, if there's a very real battle that you're facing right now, um, let us stand with you in prayer um, and we will, we will be with you uh, and pray for you in that. So we're going to stay in this time of worship. Um, Tom, can you come and just share the word that you, you shared with me there? Um. Yeah, morning church. Um, I felt as Nathan was talking, he talked about going into battle with a sword. Um, and, and I was having this debate with God around picking up a sword requires me to put something down first. Um, and I feel there's people in here that as Nathan was talking, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool for you, but my hands are full already. And the response for you is to say, yeah, God, I need to empty my hands so I can pick up this sword. You're not going to win a battle without this sword. It's impossible. So my challenge for you, church, today is if your hands are full with stuff, that could be full with different priorities, could be full with good things, but not the right thing. So your response to this, to come to the front, and that signifies I'm emptying my hands so I can pick up this sword and fight. And just maybe by doing that, your situation changes. Been battling it for years, been fighting with the wrong tool. So that's your response today is, God, I lay this down and I'm picking up the sword. Amen. So the band are going to lead. Um, come forward and said, ready for prayer. Um, but yeah, let's sing together, church. Your name is higher. 